This is The Saucer Life, a podcast in which we examine concepts, events, or people orbiting the world of flying saucers. Few preconceptions, snark when justified, no belief, no debunking. Today, we're going to finish our look at the Gulf Breeze sightings, examining Ed Walters' last two books, or second two books, which were also his last two books. And um, a couple of things about this episode. First off, if it sounds a little different, it's because I'm recording on the road on a laptop uh, with some mobile audio kit. So it's, it's, not, uh, it's not in the studio, so there might be uh, a few sort of sound quirks. I, I'm going to try to make it sound as good as possible. The other thing is, um, this is going to be shorter than the first two Gulf Breeze episodes, because so much in Walters's second two books is simply a sort of recapitulation and um, a defense of what he wrote in the Gulf Breeze UFO sightings back in 1990. So there's, um, th- there's not as much meat on the bones here, and I'm not going to waste all of our time by, by stretching things out too much. Now, if you have not listened to the first two Gulf Breeze episodes, I, I can't tell you what to do, but uh, this might make more sense to you if you were to go back and listen to those. Um, if you don't want to, uh, you can dive right into this one, but uh, I, I think it would be helpful if you listened to those first. So today, we're going to be looking at what Ed Walters did next, and what claims did he have, and do these claims help or hurt his case that he saw these flying saucers? So here's the story so far to remind you or to inform you if you haven't listened to those first two episodes. Ed Walters and his wife, Frances, saw a number of UFOs in Gulf Breeze, Florida in late 1987 into the spring of 1988. They weren't the only people to have UFO sightings during this time in the area. There were quite a few reported in the news. But Ed Walters used his 1970s Polaroid camera to take astoundingly detailed and interesting photos of some interesting-looking UFOs. And this generated a lot of attention, but also a lot of skepticism, particularly once a model of a UFO was found in the house that Walters had lived in at the time by new owners. So the UFO field, such as it was, was a bit split over the Walters photos. There was a contingent, and still is a contingent, that believes these photos were absolutely authentic. Um, There's a much larger group of people within ufology that believed these photos to be hoaxes, and that Ed Walters, who had a reputation as a practical joker, um, sort of started a, uh, a hoax, a joke that got out of control and mushroomed, and then he kept it going once he was able to um, sign a book deal for hundreds of thousands of dollars. So when his book comes out in 1990, and then subsequently the controversy over the model begins and, and claims and counterclaims about how he faked the photograph, um, he kind of you know, 
goes uh, goes not goes underground, but he sort of goes away for a little bit and starts working on the next phase of his story. And I, I do that does sound a bit uh, a bit cynical, but there's a sense that he needs to push things further. And the result is the 1994 book from Ed Walters and Francis Walters entitled UFO Abductions in Gulf Breeze, the amazing true story of UFOs and the real visitors from outer space. And in that subtitle, that very long subtitle, the uh, the word real is larger than the other words and underlined. And a little flash in the corner says with clear, detailed, authenticated photos. It's a great, uh, it's a great painted cover. Um, I'll put it up on, actually, it's on the, the episode art for this episode has a, a picture of this cover, and it's uh, absolutely, absolutely amazing. I, uh, I love it very much. So, whose abductions were these? Well, these were Ed's abductions. And you'll recall from the earlier episodes that there had been several cases where the blue beam from the ship was attempting to pull him up into the ship, and he, you know, did not, uh, did not go. He hung on, or his wife hung on to his leg in one case, and he was not sucked up into the ship. But in the aftermath of the sightings, Ed began to wonder what had really happened, and there were periods of missing time during these sightings that he didn't really mention too clearly in the first book, but now he he sort of is. And he was wondering about how to explore this, and he gets some advice about the best thing to do. Often, as I awoke in the morning, my subconscious released bursts of memory which made very little sense. Although I always wrote down these insights, I only showed them to a few researchers. They quickly connected these memories to what seemed to be a telepathic message I'd received while driving to the site of a dramatic UFO encounter on January 24, 1988. The message was, In sleep, you know. The researchers felt that regressive hypnosis was the only way to unravel the mysteries connected with the UFO and my life. In an effort to answer why, I finally agreed. If there was something more to all of this than just the sightings, I decided I wanted to know. This book discloses each In Sleep You Know memory and details the many hours of regressive hypnosis. Each session was videotaped and is transcribed herein with my intermittent descriptions and comments. Based on those In Sleep You Know memories and that hypnosis, I have suggested certain answers. Much of what has happened might be interpreted differently, and you may choose to do so, but no matter how one speculates, it is clear to me that I have experienced contact with an alien life form. MUFON folks hook Ed Walters up with Dan Overlaid, a clinical hypnotherapist who previously had met with Walters and certified him as not a sociopath when uh, his credibility was questioned with regard to the photographs and his sightings. Overlaid in a chapter he authors in the book where he details how he got involved with the Ed Walters case, describes himself as somebody who had read a Donald Kehoe book or two back in the day, but was not deeply entrenched in the world of flying saucers, um, which is good as far as that goes. As you know from listening to this show, I'm a little skeptical of the value and utility and in some cases safety of some of these hypnotic regression techniques, things that have come to light in the last few years or so, make me even more skeptical about it than I was at the beginning when I first heard about it. Now, the missing time wasn't the only reason that Ed felt he needed more answers than he had. 
In the bathroom, I ran a comb through my hair and felt a bump at the back of my head very close to the center of my neck. I felt bruised, and I went to the mirror to try to see what I could feel. When I looked in the mirror, I couldn't see the lump, but as I turned around, I immediately saw more than I expected to. A large bruise with a red dot in the center was prominent between my eyes right at the bridge of my nose. Two more similar marks were centered on my temples, each surrounded by a bruise. I was shocked. What the hell had they done to me? So Ed goes to see Dr. Overlaid, and in the first sort of pre-hypnosis appointment, uh, Overlaid teaches Ed some techniques for, for how to get into a hypnotic state of mind, or hypnotic state, I guess, and sort of the relaxation, and sort of puts him under just a little bit. And interestingly, Overlaid notes the facial twitches and and, and unconscious bodily movements that Ed had exhibited on that video that we talked about in the last episode that Jim Mosley uh, sort of laughed at, and, and the um, his even Dwayne Cook, who was with him, said, "No, I, I, your face looks normal, Ed. I don't see any weird facial twitches." So Overlaid's comments sort of confirm those facial twitches. Ed also sees a gray creature when he is in that pre-hypnotic sort of practice session. So his first full hypnosis session goes over an encounter he had in the park where he had this missing time experience. And as he is under, he is describing what's going on, and then he recounts the moment at which he is confronted by the creatures. Okay, okay, I can see them over me. They're standing over me. They're standing over me. I heard them in the bushes. The sons of bitches were in the bushes. They're in the bushes. He's looking right down at me. They're all around me. Those gray things are all around me. One's got one's got a hold of my neck. He's got his hand on the back of my neck. He's got his hands, his fingers wrapped around the back of my neck. Another one's pushing me on the left shoulder. He's pushing me on the left shoulder. He's pulling me up. They're picking me up. Picking me up. I can't move. I can't move by myself. They're standing me up. Okay, I'm standing up. Oh, oh, geez, I can't move. I can't move. Oh, gee. I hear Zehas. Zehas, 12, wait. Zehas, 12, wait. There's a voice that said, 12, wait. Said, Zehas, 12, wait. The aliens, we'll just call them aliens for the sake of clarity. The, the aliens continue to to grab him and drag him uh, through the uh, through the. The, the park where he is. He's struggling, but he is unable to escape their, uh, their, their power. They zap him with a white light from those silver rods that they carry that we heard about in uh, previous episodes. And this being an Ed Walters book, it should not surprise you that he paints himself in a fairly heroic light trying to fight the efforts of these evil gray alien bad guys. I was on my back, looking at the semicircle of creatures standing motionless less than five feet from me. The creature, locked in the grip of my right arm, had its back against my chest. In the darkness, I almost didn't realize what I held. If the creature's helmet hadn't also protected its neck, my arm would have been around its throat. Sand on my sweaty arm gritted against the smooth, glassy surface of the creature's chest plate. The creature began to struggle, and a sour smell like mildew filled my nostrils. Its helmet rubbed on my shoulder, the angle exposing the clear faceplate to my view. Only a few inches from my eyes, my tormentor seemed frail. Its eyes met mine and showed nothing but my reflection. 
tightening my grip, I pulled the two of us backward further into the brush with my left hand. The creature still grasped the silver rod and began to thrash in panic, striking blow after blow toward my head and left shoulder. The bushes deflected the rod, which I'm sure was some sort of stun weapon. I wrapped my legs around its legs and finally managed to grab the rod-swinging arm. At that moment, my eyes became blurry. His vision goes blurry, and when it, it clears again, he's in a room... And his daughter, Laura, is in, uh, he sees her in a room. He's, he's looking in through the window and sees her. She's yelling, but he can't hear her. She seems to be in some kind of distress. She's choking. And, and this is very sort of troubling to him. And he stops struggling with the aliens and they, uh, they, they, they take him and he ends up on a floor somewhere. He can't see anything. He's crawling around on his hands and knees. His throat hurts. He's very, very concerned about his daughter. There are voices speaking to him, and, and one voice becomes, becomes louder, talking to him. It's a white-haired man who seems to be some kind of spokesman or leader of the group of aliens. There's another voice. This guy's talking to me. This white-haired guy is talking to me. He's just looking at me, and all of a sudden I hear him. He says, Zehas. He says, Zehas, you were always like this. Try to remember. You were always like this. Try to remember. Yeah, always like this. Well, you remember, you remember. Yeah, you didn't ask me to come up here. You didn't ask me to come to this stupid place. I want you out of here. I want my daughter. Oh, Laura's all right. Unless that's a trick. Are you tricking me? What Ed begins to realize as he's having these experiences is that some of the scenes that he is witnessing, some of the surroundings he's witnessing, such as the room where Laura was, were his bedroom as a child. And so what he believes is happening is he is partially reliving abduction experiences he had when he was, I think he says, 11 years old. And the way it's written is kind of confusing. It's it's not entirely clear in the chapter where Ed and Francis are narrating what happened and using interspersed transcriptions of the hypnosis sessions. But what seems to be the case is that Ed is not only reliving his abduction during the Missing Time episode in the park, but also uh, some aspects of abductions he underwent as a child. And he has another encounter during this session, another conversation with the, uh, the white-haired man. He said, remember, you remember now. Oh God, oh, this little creep. I'd like to get my hands around his neck. He can't do this to me. The three around him have got shields and they've got those rods. And every time I step forward toward him, the rods start to glow. He says, you remember now. Yeah, I remember. You take people like me and you take them and do what you want. He says, it's necessary. He says, it's necessary. He says, we must renew. The news must learn. The news must learn. This little guy with a thing over his head, kind of partly over his head, he's got a little white-looking hair coming out from under it. He said, the news must learn. We must renew and the news must learn. What do these things mean? We don't know at this point, but Ed says... He would soon understand, quote, that these phrases cut to the absolute meaning of the alien abduction motive. Well, that would be great if we were to, uh, if we were to find that. There's then a little chapter where uh, Dan Overlaid goes over his analysis of the hypnosis session, um, sort of fleshing out this idea that 
uh, Ed was experiencing some aspects of things that happened to him when he was 11 years old, making him a repeat abductee over the course of his life. And then the next chapter is sort of a break from the abduction stuff. Chapter 7 is titled, What's a Debunker? Ed goes into the attempts made to discredit him during the height of the Gulf Breeze sightings, and also refers to a flyer that was placed in people's mailboxes throughout the town. Do you know Edward Walters? We are proud to disclose that he is the nut that would have the fine people of Gulf Breeze believe that the Martians have landed. This is his phone number, 932-3056. Call this idiot and let him know what you have discovered about him. Let him know that we all know he's a liar and nobody believes him. Don't be deceived by the other reports that you read about. The Sentinel newspaper is making up stories to sell papers. Many of our sources report how often this UFO nut can be seen drunk at the local bars, and we are now investigating his devil worship meetings that include other UFO witnesses. Do you want this type of element in town? Let us all speak up against Ed Walters and tell him and anybody else who supports him to stuff it. Of course, Edwards explains that the debunkers were full of bunk. Gulf Breeze, for example, was a uh, in a dry county, so there weren't any local bars in Gulf Breeze where he could always be seen drunk. Well, I'm convinced. And it, to be honest, you know, putting flyers like that is is kind of a kind of a, a jerkish move. You don't want to do that to people. But on the other hand, you put yourself out there with your flying saucer photos and things like that are going to happen. Ed claims that the people behind the flyers were from out of town and uh, were part of an organized effort to suppress the truth about UFOs. Then we get into some more hypnosis sessions based on memories that Ed had throughout his childhood. For example, when he was 17 years old, he was going to the store to get some bread for his mom, and he was being followed by a black dog. Now, this is what he remembers consciously. He said the dog followed him. The dog was wrong. Something was very wrong with the dog, he said. The dog was acting much too deliberately. It freaked him out. Later that night, as he tried to go to sleep, he had a sensation of somebody sitting on his bed or pushing his head down. The room was dark, but he could see shadowy gray forms move back and forth as he tried to focus on them. He was scared. He tried to curl up in a ball. But later, when he woke up, his his brother didn't agree that there was anybody in the house, but Ed was wet, as if he'd been outside even though he hadn't been. But he didn't really realize that anything was really wrong until after he was hypnotized and learned the entire story of what happened on that night. We'll get to that hypnosis session after the break. Next time, we're staying in Florida and looking at the mystery of the Gulf Breeze 6. It's not directly connected to the sightings, but it is tangentially connected. And this story is is wild. It's one I've been wanting to do for a long time, so it's it's pretty exciting. We're also going to have a, a little sort of bonus episode in between where I take feedback and questions about our three-part Gulf Breeze uh, thing. So send me questions, send me comments. Um, I'm trying to save all the ones I've gotten so far, but um, apologies if I lost some along the way. 
If you like The Saucer Life and you want more, you can support us in exchange for bonus content from both this show here and our other show, uh, Great Lakes Lore, which we host with historian Samantha Engel. You can check out that Patreon at patreon.com slash chizomedia, or via the link in the show notes, or you can Google Saucer Life Patreon. That'll get you there, too. You can always check out past episodes at saucerlife.com or in your favorite podcast app. And as always, we're on Twitter and Instagram at saucerlife, and you can email us at thesaucerlife.com. You can contact us by post at Chizo Media, P.O. Box 68, Grand Blanc, Michigan, 48480. And, and thanks to those of you who have sent uh, interesting uh, notes and letters and physical artifacts. We recently got a very nice collectible coin medallion thing from the little alien in uh, near Area 51 from a listener who visited there on vacation with a nice letter. So it's always good to get things like that. And now let's go back to Ed Walters and Dr. Dan's hypnosis sessions. During the series of hypnosis sessions where they delve into what happened to Ed when he was 17, we learn that the dog was strange for a number of reasons. The way it was looking at Ed, its head was turned at, in a way that an animal's head could not turn unless its neck, neck was broken. The eyes seemed oddly alien, and the dog had no teeth. It's very strange. And then the action shifts to Ed being in a place, naked. The creatures, gray creatures, again, like he's been seeing all along, have removed his clothes and they've placed some sort of device, like a, a dish-like device, over his genitals. At this point in the first hypnosis session, he is very agitated and Dr. Overlaid brings him out of it. They go back in a bit later and he reports, Ed reports or recounts, that a rod was stuck in his nose and something was placed inside his skull. So basically, your standard alien implant sort of thing. He's then left alone in the room. He looks around. It's a, a empty room with a shiny table that has a serial number on it. He leaves the room and goes into the corridor and is confronted by the creatures again. He tries to run, and a blue beam, like he's experienced from the craft, comes down from the ceiling and freezes him in place. He then jumps in the narrative to being age 29 with similar things happening then he's back to age 17 it's it's very confusing because it's it's sort of presented as little bits of of narration interspersed with dialogue from the transcripts with inside the transcripts in the parentheses sort of almost stage directions of how ed was was talking you know his um level of agitation, sighing, grunting, crying, things like that. So it's, it's a very disjointed thing to read. We then get a story of when Ed was 25 years old, just a young uh, draftsman starting out in the architecture and building industry, and he was out driving on a job, and he had a strange experience at a roadside, and he always just thought it was exhaustion, heat stroke, you know, some sort of weird thing. But once you get hypnotized, you realize what's really going on. And what really had happened when he was 25 was that he was trapped in a compound with some alien lizard people, and he helped a pair of young children escape from these lizard people. 
The little girl could not keep up, and I was dragging her by the arm while in a full sprint. I glanced back and could see only the curve of the tunnel disappear into the same bright lighting that was also ahead of us. Without losing stride, I released my grip on the boy's arm and snatched the girl up onto my right hip, then reached out for the boy, who was now slightly ahead of me. Confused thoughts swirled in my mind, and I yelled out, This can't be! My chest heaved, and I struggled to inhale the thick air. It was heavy, as if laden with an invisible additive. I began to slow while the boy ran on farther ahead, so much that the girl called to him, Gary, wait for us! I let the girl slide down to the floor so she could catch up to Gary, who was apparently her brother. They both looked back at me, but I motioned them on. Alone, I listened and watched the curve for any sign that we were being followed. Bracing myself by leaning forward and holding my knees, I waited, gasping for breath. My eyes watered, and I squinted to shield them from the brightness. I had only gotten a quick look at what was coming out of the red glow, but I was sure it was lizards. There had been no mistaking the sight of that huge lizard head swaggering into sight from around the wall opening. Lizards, three of the biggest lizards possible, at least ten feet from nose to tail. There was no confusion about it. These were not alligators or crocodiles. They were lizards. So we have lizards, maybe not lizard people, but giant lizards. We have general normal grays. We've got the one being with the white hair. We then, in this hypnosis session, meet smaller creatures who are more friendly or at least more or less actively abusive to Ed. With they, um, He says they remind him of the big-eyed children that you would see in paintings and pictures a few years ago, which for some reason I'm thinking he means like those Precious Moments figurines. I'm thinking that's the kind of thing he's going for. The timing seems right in the early 90s for Precious Moments figurines to be a thing from a few years ago. He's got more of these, um, of these encounters that he has. There's one when he was... Uh, 29, uh, 29, 33 years old, an interrupted canoe trip, but it all seems to be of a piece with each other. There's a lot, not a lot of variation until he meets one more of these creatures, a woman or a female who said that, that he, she is, that she is of the 13. So this number of 13 and a group of 13 of these smaller creatures are becoming more prominent. It really is all over the place. I'm, I'm trying to make it as um, compact and streamlined as I can. But one of the things that really, really um, interests me is when he would have these hypnotic regression sessions and see himself as some other type of person, somebody who isn't Ed Walters. The alien woman touches him and he has flashes of memory where he is a black man in one instance or a, uh, a a young man whose father was a Cheyenne Indian who had kidnapped and raped a white woman and he was the result of that and another one where he was a young boy who he described as um, as brown which seems an unfortunate way to, to say it. And he says, quote, the visions of the black man, the half-breed, and the Indian boy are an absolute mystery to me. How they should be interpreted depends on your philosophical beliefs. How they are rationalized along with the UFO abduction phenomenon, I will leave to others. But since they are a part of events I recalled while under hypnosis, I include them as possible real events, but also recognize that they might have been alien manipulations, end quote. So, Ed doesn't know what these are. If these are 
past incarnations of himself, if he's being shown the experiences of other people uh, through their eyes by the aliens, he's just not sure. But uh, he has these these visions of um, of these other people's lives. It's it's very very strange. In fact, it's strange enough that that it's I think one of the more interesting parts of the book because he doesn't just come out and say this was you know this is what it was. He leaves it very ambiguous. He says, it, you know, basically, I'm not qualified to judge what these experiences mean or what might have happened. As the book continues, we get more instances of um, the talk of the coming of the news, and the news must be informed, or the news must be brought forward. And it becomes clear that this is not news as in newspaper or nightly news on the television. It's new and then with an S to make it plural. The new what? At the conclusion of his experiences, having been given all kinds of cryptic clues about the news and in dreams you remember or in sleep you remember and things like that, Ed Walters comes to some conclusions about what might be going on, not just with his abduction, but with abductions in general. Do UFOs exist? Yes, there is no doubt in my mind. Do UFOs come from outer space? Maybe, I don't know. It certainly seems possible. But whether these beings are from outer space, another dimension, or our own future, they are alien to our time, our culture. What is the purpose of alien abduction? Based solely on my experience, I must answer, interaction physically and emotionally to rejuvenate or develop a new species. These conclusions spring from the personal encounters that I have disclosed openly in this book. My answers are possibilities which seem to me acceptable, The things that I saw and heard I have interpreted only on the basis of my own personal intellect. Philosophically, I I see myself as neutral, but I also acknowledge that I have, like everybody, certain preconceived and subjective ideas that may color my conclusions. So, a new species being created. This isn't too different from what we've seen in other abduction scenarios about the creation of hybrids. Indeed, this book comes out in 1994. The hybrids, the that sort of thing, it's it's becoming sort of accepted UFO abduction lore, sort of running parallel to some of the other things, like the aliens are implanting us to be a uh, implanting people to be a, an army that will rise up and help the aliens take over when, you know, everything falls apart. So, that's sort of the conclusion of Ed's recountings of his own um, abduction experiences and and the hypnosis there's really no real sort of firm conclusion he's got some suppositions but leaves the door open for him being wrong which is actually kind of refreshing i like that but then there's a whole another chunk of the book probably about 50 pages where he goes into the you know defending himself against the fake saucer model that was supposedly planted in his house by the evil debunkers he he goes into other attempts to to you know, sow discord among the UFO community and, and rally people against his story. And he also spends a few pages talking about six soldiers who show up in Gulf Breeze for no apparent reason or reasons that are deeply strange. But that's a topic for next time when we talk about the Gulf Breeze 6. So this second book was also co-authored with uh, his wife, Frances Walters. I'm not sure if she was still his wife at the time. They did get divorced at one point, and Jim Mosley, in his book, Shockingly Close to the Truth, 
tells the story of having dinner with Ed and Francis as they were going through their divorce, and I don't have it with me right now recording, but he says something along the lines of, well, I'd make it worth your while if one of you wanted to tell me the real story, regardless of what the other one wants, or, or something like that. And he says they both gave him a, a sort of interesting look, but neither of them ever came forward with anything different than what they had said before. So what's interesting is is the first book is authored by Ed and Francis Walters, and the second book is authored by Ed Walters and Francis Walters, which is a different, and that might not indicate that they'd divorced by that time, but I think it does. Now, Walters' third book, the boringly and sort of clumsily titled UFOs Are Real, Here's the Proof, is credited to Edward Walters, not Ed, and his co-author Bruce Maccabee, PhD. And it has an introduction by George Filer, Major George Filer of Filer's Files, which is a coalition of UFO sightings reports. This book, um, I'm not going to spend much time on this, actually. Um, it's it recounts the Gulf Breeze thing. It doesn't talk much about his abductions at all, and it's mostly given over to the fact that there's no way Ed could have faked those UFO photos. Here are other UFO photos. Here am I, Bruce Maccabee, giving you my expert opinion about why these photos aren't fake. It's very much a I don't want to say generic UFO book, but it's it's kind of a generic UFO book. So, and that's really all I want to say about it. It's it's very boring. I'm sad that I read it. So, where does this leave us? Um, as far as I know, I, I don't believe Ed Walters has died, but he has remained off the scene after that third, really after that third book was was published in 1997. Um, in numerous stories about uh, for the 30th anniversary of, of Gulf Breeze and, and other anniversaries, news stories in Florida usually have some mention of the fact that Ed Walters did not respond to requests for interviews, um, but usually something like he he's just says he stands by his story. The, the Gulf Breeze sightings remain a hot button in ufology. There are, there are people who believe those photos are authentic, and others who say the photos might not be authentic, Walters might have been scamming people or, or promulgating a hoax, but that doesn't negate the other sightings that took place in Gulf Breeze during that time, during that, uh, during that wave. And then, as we're going to see next time, the the Gulf Breeze 6 incident was was very strange and and also sort of added to the the mystique surrounding the Gulf Breeze the Gulf Breeze sightings and in, in fact if I'd planned this out better I probably could have put this at the end of the second part and made Gulf Breeze a two-parter instead of, what is this, a two-and-a-half-parter? Um, but I, I think I think it works pretty well. This is sort of a nice coda to the whole thing. And as I said, next time we'll be talking about the Gulf Breeze, uh, the Gulf Breeze 6. But for now, I think I'm done with the Gulf Breeze sightings. And if anybody has any information on what Ed Walters is up to now, if anything, pass that information along, along with any other questions and comments you have. Personally, for my part, and I, I know I'm, I'm just somebody looking at the thing 30-some years later, I, I, I think Ed Walters got in over his head on a hoax. 
And I think he found a way to make a large amount of money off it. Thank you, Jane Pauley. Um, and an un, unlimited financial opportunity. But uh, once that model was found, things started to go bad. And then when other people came out and said, yeah, yeah, he, he wanted me to help him take these fake photos, and he's always playing practical jokes, and he showed us how to do double exposures on his old Polaroid, then it sort of begins to fall apart for him. He gets very, very defensive um, and doubles down on everything. And I, I think this abductions book is another way of doubling down. I'm not denying that he might have had anomalous experiences, but uh, you have to you have to wonder sometimes because some of this sounds very dramatic. And that leads me to maybe the, the last thing I want to say about Ed Walters. I think he might be one of the best just writers in the UFO field. These are compelling stories. When he's telling the stories and, and phrasing himself as, a, as an action hero, it's entertaining stuff. That doesn't mean it's necessarily true, just that he, he has a way of, of writing the book to sort of keep the story cooking as it goes along. You see this in the first book, the, uh, the Gulf Breeze UFO sightings book, but UFO abductions from Gulf Breeze has it in bits and pieces when he's sort of explaining what happened, the narrative of what happened in these these hypnosis sessions. I think the formatting of interspersing the, the printed dialogue with his descriptions, I, I think it is jarring, and I think it breaks it up a little too much. Um, it became kind of a chore to read. And then UFOs are real, here's the proof. Um, that book is, is just... It's it's just it's just sightings and photographs and explanations of photographs and recountings of things that we'd read in the previous two books, but I, I think Ed Walters probably had a future as sort of a pulpy action novelist. I can sort of see that, and it would have been really fun to read a in quotes fictionalized account, wink wink, of his real experiences and. Some of the sequences in that first book and in the abductions book really do seem to me to be sort of sort of test runs of you know writing a novel or maybe he'd written these stories and wanted to get them out in some way. That's pure speculation on my part, but um, it's just just it's fun to read. And if we can roll our eyes at him presenting himself as you know action man Ed Walters, you know fighting the aliens and and you know swearing up a storm um you can sort of you know give him credit for at least not giving us something boring and i think that third book the the one he wrote with maccabee i think one of the reasons that i dislike it is just because it is so boring you don't have you know actiony ed walters to the degree you have in the others and i mean i, I don't need to be convinced ufos are real i don't need to be given proof i think proof undermines the whole I don't want to say goofiness, but goofiness of the concept. In any case, I, I think I'm done with Ed Walters, but we're not done with Gulf Breeze, Florida, as we'll see next time. Thanks for listening. Remember to send in your questions and comments via the usual social media or email channels, and we'll be addressing them on a special uh, bonus saucer afterlife reader feedback about Gulf Breeze. 
Our associate producer is Simpson J. Hanover III, and The Saucer Life is a production of Chizo Media, LLC. Chizo Media, our heart is with the people. Till next time, keep watching the skies, because the skies are watching you. Thank <laughs> you.